Hey, New Life family, I hope you're off to a great start in 2024. Listen, I don't know if you knew this or not, but life can be really hard sometimes. It ain't always a cakewalk. One of the best ways I've found for us as followers of Jesus to combat discouragement in life is the biblical practice of thanksgiving, celebrating what God has done in a way that reminds us of what He will continue to do in our lives. And so as we launch into a brand new year together, I want us to dream big and I want us to run with endurance as we seek to advance His kingdom right here in the 828 and beyond. So we wanna take just a few minutes to rewind and celebrate some milestones that God has accomplished in and through us as a faith family in 2023. So come along with us and let's celebrate and let's thank God together for what he's done among us. In 2019, we launched the Seven Big Dreams Initiative. Seven God-sized dreams ranging from church planting to discipling our kids at home. We're convinced that making disciples begins in the home, which is why we set out to equip 150 new life families for discipleship in the home by 2025. This past year alone, our kids and student ministries help equip 35 new families, which means we've now helped equip 137 families since 2019 to disciple their children in their homes. That's huge, church family. The ripple effects of this will be felt for generations to come. Speaking of discipleship, we know that discipleship never happens by accident. We have to be intentional to invest in one another and grow deeper in gospel relationships. Our community groups are designed to help foster exactly that in a relational discipleship environment. In 2023, we were able to launch seven new groups around our city and are now just one away from reaching another huge milestone in our seven big dreams of having launched 25 new groups by 2025. We praise God for how these groups minister to one another and serve together to reach out to so many different people in and around Asheville. While it's important to ensure our church family is healthy and equipped for discipleship, we're also called to share the good news and serve our neighbors both locally and around the world. While there are many worthy endeavors that we could pursue as a faith family, we've chosen to build intentional and strategic partnerships with like-minded churches and ministries, as well as serve in underserved places within our community. And we're pleased to announce that the vision to partner with three local schools by 2025 has been reached. This past year, we were able to launch a new partnership with Irwin High School, which means that New Life now has strategic partnerships with our local schools at all three age levels, represented in Woodfin Elementary, Irwin High, and UNCA. We thank God for opening these doors and for your faithfulness to continue to walk through them. On a more regional front, we've set out to come alongside and strategically support 10 gospel-centered church plants. Studies show over and over again that the most effective way to reach new people is by planting new churches. 
So we're committed to multiplication as a church. Over the past year, we've had the privilege to begin two more church planning partnerships with Mission Oak in Black Mountain, as well as Eastside Community Church in Washington, D.C., which brings our new church plant partnerships since 2019 up to seven. And we fully expect to reach our vision of 10 church plants by 2025. We continue to take more of a lead partnership role with Redeemer Fellowship in Vienna, Virginia, right outside of D.C., as well as the Sudanese church movement taking place in North Africa. We would ask you to continue to be in prayer for all of these church plant partnerships and for wisdom and guidance in all of our future church plants that we're going to be rolling out in 2024. We are so grateful for the generosity that permeates the culture at New Life. We set a God-sized goal in 2019 of investing $1.5 million into missions, church planting, poverty alleviation, and anti-trafficking initiatives by 2025. And we're so excited to let you know that we've already smashed that goal. For a church our size, only God. Celebrate with us, church family, for the thousands of lives that have been impacted and continue to be impacted because of our shared generosity. Ultimately, all of these God-sized endeavors help lead us to one primary thing, life change. In 2023, we celebrated 32 baptisms. That's the most in our 26 year history, representing 32 individuals that moved from death to life through the power of Jesus. And every time these baptism waters get stirred, it's a reminder of why we do all of the things that we do. God is still in the business of changing lives and redeeming people. And for some crazy reason, He intends to use us in this process. Personally, I'm so grateful to be a part of this church family. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do in and through us together in 2024 as we keep following hard after Him. So New Life family, it looks like it's about time to start praying for and casting a new vision that stretches and grows our faith even more into the future. Let's keep dreaming big dreams together and chasing after a big Savior, New Life family, and know that you are loved and you are most definitely sent. Other thing I want to celebrate just quickly before we jump into our message this morning. If you've been around a little while, you know that every year towards the end of the year, October through the end of the year, we raise what's called the Send Missions Offering. And that offering goes to fund a lot of what you just saw on that video. So like our church plants, our, our mission partnerships globally, locally, our city partnerships, all sorts of poverty alleviation, anti-trafficking initiatives that we're involved with. And so we finally got that number in from last year. So we're going to throw it up on the screen and give God all the glory for that $216,308, which is awesome. 
And that's going to really allow us to continue doing what it is that we feel like God is calling us to do. Plant churches, multiply, send missionaries out, partner with gospel-centered ministries within our city. I don't know who gave the $8, but thank you, right? We need every single dollar, and all of it goes to a great cause of expanding the kingdom of Jesus outside of these four walls. So thank you for that. Man, we've got so much to be grateful for. Um, Oftentimes, if we're being honest, uh, in spite of us, right? Uh, For whatever reason, God in his sovereignty has seen fit to use this ragtag band uh, of misfits in pretty amazing ways, right? Right here in the 828 and uh, far beyond. So you're going to hear a couple of stories from New Lifers as we move throughout the rest of the morning. But for now, would you do me a favor and type to or turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to home base it out of that passage this morning. If you are new or visiting a new life, my name is Chris. Uh, welcome. So glad that you're here. If you're watching online, uh, welcome. Glad that you're joining us uh, as well. As has already been said, today's a little bit different. Uh, we do this once a year, right? So if you come back next week, it's not going to be like this. We only do this uh, annually, but we do this to, to really a couple purposes. One, to, to look back in gratitude and, and really kind of practice the biblical discipline of, of thankfulness, but also to do just a little bit of vision casting for where we feel like God is taking us uh, together as a, as a faith family and to invite you into uh, that vision. And today is that day. Now, let me just say from the outset before we really get rolling, uh, we don't do this to pat ourselves on the back. Right? We do this once a year to point you to how great our God is, right? And so if you, uh, if you walk out of this uh, place this morning talking about how great this church is or something like that, I have failed miserably um, in my task this morning. Our goal is for you to walk out of here with one name on your lips, and that's the name of Jesus, talking about how great a Savior this church has. So that's kind of the, the goal is to exalt Jesus, point you guys to him and what he's done in and through us and what he wants to continue to do in the days Ahead. So here's what I want us to do. I want, to, I want us to look at uh, the shortest parable that Jesus ever told, really kind of two twin parables that are interconnected. And we're going to share a couple of stories with you along the way. And then we're going to finish out our time with a, with a challenge. I just want to issue uh, a challenge uh, at the end of it. And then we're going to pray. And then uh, you sinners can do whatever you do on Sunday afternoon, right? And it's going to be a, it's going to be a good morning. So let's, um, let's pause and just ask God to help us before we step into this. God, we... Uh, we come to you, and uh, we, we do have um, so much to be grateful for. The reality is, instead of a five-minute video, we could have a 50-minute video easily of just story after story of your faithfulness, your grace, in and among us, not for our glory, but for your glory, God. And we're grateful that you choose to, to use people like us, as flawed as we are, as sinful as we are, as messed up as we can tend to be, that you choose to, to use us because... Um, you love us, God. And so would you help us as we look at this ancient parable, Father? I pray that the words of Jesus would be enlivened in a fresh and a new way. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be here, present in this place, in this space, that you would uh, take these ancient truths spoken by you, you would apply them to our minds and our hearts in a way that we would really begin to live them out in an authentic way. Uh, in the way that we interact with the world around us. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, I hope that you're there. We're going to start in in verse 44. And this is Jesus teaching. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. 
Then, in his joy, and I want you to highlight that word joy. That's important. We'll come back to it. He goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Now, before we dig into that, um, that parable, I want to ask you a question. I'll put it on the screens for you. What do you value most in life? For you, what is that? What is that thing? Do you have a prized possession? For some of you, that thing already popped into your brain, right? Maybe for you, it's a, maybe it's a, a particular person, a, a place that's special to you, perhaps a material thing, a, a car, a house. Maybe, maybe it's a hobby that you really enjoy doing. What's that thing for you? And once you have that locked in, here, here's what I want to let you know is, is coming. I think what Jesus intends to do for us through this parable today is begin to, to peel back the, the layers of our heart in order to reveal, not, not in a mean way, but in a loving way, to, to reveal what we treasure most in our life for the purpose of showing us what we should really treasure in our lives, right? And, and Jesus is good like that. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to settle for something that's just good when he has something that's, that's great for us. And so I think that's the intent and purpose of this particular uh, parable. Now, just historically, culturally, a couple things you need to know. In the days of, of Jesus, uh, hidden treasure wasn't something that was just reserved for like whimsical kids' movies about pirates, right? Like if you, like me, you grew up watching Captain Hook and Swiss Family Robinson, right? And all these kind of fun pirate movies and treasure ships and all these sorts of things. And so for us, it seems very far-fetched, right? Like it's, a, it's a, like a Disney movie or something like that that would never happen to us. But you got to understand, in those days, uh, folks didn't have banks quite like we have today. Plus, they were almost always under threat of, of, of an invading kingdom or army coming in, and they might, at the drop of the hat, have to flee for their lives, right? So just lived this kind of a very dangerous existence. So what do you suppose people did with their valuable assets in those days? How would you keep it safe? You would, yeah, you would, you would bury it, or you might find a cave or something and hide it in a cave, but typically you would, you would bury it. So in the ancient Near East, it would not have been an uncommon occurrence to come across an actual hidden treasure at some point in your lifetime. So as Jesus is telling this parable, I just picture his audience like beginning to, to lean in, like, okay, Jesus, tell us more. Like, I actually know, I know a guy that, that found a hidden treasure. I, I can see this happening to me at some point in my life. And so Jesus is like, okay, okay, here's the deal. There, there, there's a guy in a field, right? So he starts to tell this story. Now, he, Jesus doesn't tell us how the guy got in the field, right? And so maybe he was a day laborer. Uh, maybe he just saw some nice blackberry bushes and he's like, man, I want some blackberry cobbler tonight. So I'm gonna grab some of that on my way home. Uh, maybe something a little more nefarious. Maybe he got tired of his mother-in-law so he's hiding a body in the field. Like we don't really know. Listen, I love my mother-in-law, all right? For the record, if she's watching online, it probably wasn't his mother-in-law. But he could have been, been hiding. We don't know why he was in the field, but he's in the field. Regardless, he's in this field and apparently he's digging around for some reason. All right, so he's digging around. And he comes across something in the dirt. Maybe it's like the edge of a, like a chest or something. So he begins to dig around more. And finally he sees what it is. And he gets enough dirt out of the way so he can pull this thing out. And then he kind of creaks it open. I just imagine him almost immediately being blinded by the sunlight. That's just reflecting all, off all these gold coins, right? And diamonds and rubies and all these incredible things. Like a priceless treasure. It's amazing, right? He's probably trembling, like, I cannot believe I just found this. There's only one problem for him. Do you know what that problem is? 
He doesn't own the field. So what does he do? What would you do if you were in his shoes, right? I imagine he's probably looking around, making sure nobody saw him and, and kind of drags it behind the tree and puts some rocks and piles some leaves on top of it, right? And he sprints home as fast as he can with one single solitary goal in his mind. And that is sell everything that I have so I can buy that field so I can own that treasure. It's all that's in his mind. Give up everything that I have so I can buy that field so I can possess that treasure. Now, we kind of read this as modern-day Christians and with, without the historical context. We just kind of, kind of brush past it. Like, oh, cool, cool. Dude found something to feel. Cool, cool. But you got to just put yourself in his shoes, maybe in his wife's shoes and his kid's shoes. Your dad comes and he, he kicks open the door one day. He's like, his wife's in there and then his kids are back in the room. He's like, kids, bring me your iPhones. Bring me all the iPads in the house, right? That money you just got from grandma for Christmas, bring it all here. Babe, take your engagement ring off. Those pearl earrings you got from your great, 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 great grandmother, bring them here. We're taking the big screen off the wall. I'm going down to the dealership. I'm selling the cars. Now, what do you think his family's got to be thinking in the moment? What? My God, what on earth, honey? Like, what, what has gotten into you? And I just picture he's like, listen, babe, we don't have time to talk about it. You just got to trust me. It's going to be worth it. So like his family, his neighbors, anybody that saw this would have been thinking, man, this dude has finally lost it, right? He got into grandma's cough syrup a little early in the day. He finally snapped. We knew he was a little bit weird. He's on the edge. He just rolled over the edge. You know, we knew this was going to happen one day. Now, let me ask you something. This guy, do you think he cares about the whispers or the raised eyebrows in that moment? Absolutely not. Why? Because he has found a treasure of immeasurable value. Like nothing he's ever had and nothing he will ever have will ever come close to what he's found. And then Jesus tells a, a connected story, another, a twin parable. Look at it in verse 45. He continues on. He says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So Jesus goes, hey, listen, my kingdom is also like a merchant in search of great pearls. Now, understand this. Unlike the first guy in the field who wasn't wealthy, a pearl merchant in these days would have been very wealthy, right? A, 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 a merchant of pearls would have been a, a business owner, would have been a CEO, would have been traveling, selling, making bank, driving the fancy cars, living the dream, beach houses in Malibu, the nine yards. But this wealthy merchant who had seen many pearls in his lifetime stumbles upon a pearl the likes of which he has never laid eyes on before in his entire life. It is exquisite. And understand this, in these days, even more than today, pearls were exceedingly rare, right? They didn't have the diving technology that we have to go to the bottom of the ocean and discover pearls. They certainly didn't have like scientific labs like we do today to, to make pearls. They were super rare and super valuable. And so he sees this pearl and he instantly knows it's more valuable than anything he has ever laid his eyes on in his entire life. So he, just like the first guy in the field, goes back home and he sells everything that he owns so that he can acquire this pearl of great value. He goes home, he sells all of his businesses, all, all of his beach houses, are, they're, they're being sold, right? He sells his ships, his collection of pearls worth millions, maybe billions of dollars. He cashes it all in so he can go buy this one single solitary pearl of great value. Why? Because he knows this pearl is unmatched in its value. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, that treasure 
that pearl, that's my kingdom. That's finding and following me. And so I think the choice that Jesus is kind of laying before us this morning is choose your treasure, friend. Choose your treasure. None of you realize this or not, but all of us have chosen a treasure to pursue in life. Some of you made that decision consciously. Some of you maybe even made that decision subconsciously. Some of you in the room watching online for sure are pursuing the treasure of career, career advancement. Man, your thing is I'm going to climb the, the ladder of success. I want to be the CEO or the VP or the COO or whatever it is. And once I achieve that, man, then I'll finally be happy. I'll be set uh, financially, whatever it is. You're, you're, that's your thing, man. You're pursuing that treasure. If you're in high school, if you're a college student, maybe you're pursuing that academic success. Man, if I could just get my GPA right there, if I could just get that perfect SAT score, then I could get into my dream school and pursue my dreams and then I would have success and that would make me happy and that would fulfill me. Others of you are in kind of the, the rat race of finding that relational success. You see treasure. If I could just find that perfect romantic relationship with that man or that woman, then I would be satisfied. For others of you, it's financial goals. Man, if I could just make 10 grand more a year, if I just had 10 grand more in my bank account, whatever it is, then I would feel safe, secure, happy. Others of you are pursuing the treasure of pleasure, respect from your peers or a thousand other possibilities and what I think Jesus is doing if you could just kind of get this picture in your mind I think he's taking that treasure whatever that is for you you just picture whatever that that treasure is for you that thing that you know you value most that thing that you're really pursuing and he's kind of taking that in one hand and he's holding his kingdom in the other hand and he's saying to us this morning choose which treasure in 2024 which one are you going to live for which one are you going to chase? Which one are you going to give all of your life and your effort for in this brand new year called 2024? Choose your treasure. Now, choosing the kingdom of Jesus comes with two things, right? If you're taking notes, write these down. Choosing the kingdom of Jesus comes with two things. One, a price. Two, a deep joy. It comes with a price and it comes with a deep joy. Now, you notice that the two guys in these parables that Jesus just told, they, listen, y'all, they laid down Everything they were chasing in life to grab hold of a greater treasure. It cost them something. In fact, I would argue it cost them everything. And I want you to know that if you take this challenge, if you say, Jesus, I'm going to treasure you and your kingdom above all the other treasures in the world in 2024, it will also cost you something. It may cost you greatly. Now, the, the, the flip side of that is not, not only do we do, is there a cost, is there a price when we choose to pursue the kingdom of Jesus above all other treasures, but it also comes with deep joy. You, now, you notice that, right? I told you to highlight that when we went through that passage the first time. Jesus says, this guy in the field, in his joy, this man goes home and he gathers up everything he owns of value and he sells it so that he might acquire the greatest treasure that he's ever seen. Now, I think that's critical that we not miss that. He's not somber. He's not sad. He's not crying to his wife like, ah, Jesus wants me to give up my iPad and my golf clubs and my brand new Ford Bronco and whatever else to follow him. He's not, he's not sad about it. He's, he's happy to sacrifice all of these lesser treasures to get the greatest treasure, right? He's got this deep joy. Now, I think it's important also for you to understand that what Jesus is talking about when he says joy here is not what we think about typically. We, we typically think about circumstantial happiness. What, what is circumstantial happiness? Circumstantial happiness is I get a new iPhone, I'm happy for a day. I get a new car, I'm happy for a week. 
I go on vacation, I'm happy until I come home and get back into reality, right? It's, it's, circum, it's circumstantial. My happiness revolves around whatever that circumstance is and what Jesus is actually offering us when we choose his kingdom as our highest treasure is not circumstantial happiness, it's joy. And I would say the difference is joy is a deep gladness of the soul that is unaffected by our circumstances. It's something that nothing can take away. It doesn't matter if I have an old crappy iPhone or the brand new titanium iPhone 15. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I have an old hoopty 1983 Honda Civic spitting oil all over the road or a brand new Ford Bronco with nice rims and knobby tires, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? It's not based on my circumstances. It's a deeper joy that is unaffected by my circumstances. This is what Jesus is offering us when we follow him in his kingdom. Now, I want you to watch a story for one of our uh, New Life members here as she shares how this whole concept of choosing Jesus and the kingdom of heaven as the greatest treasure, how this is playing out in her everyday life right where she's planted. So you watch this story from Amber. My name is Amber Kendall and I've been at New Life since about 2001. I'm an introvert by nature. So teaching is kind of exhausting, but I love it so much. And I love being able to pour into kids and to just show them that they're worthy of love. I'm a high school math teacher at Irwin High School. It is so hard. <laughs> there are a lot of kids at Irwin that are just from really bad circumstances. We've had a few suicides at our school. Um, a lot of poverty, a lot of drug use, a lot of bad stuff in their families. So school is kind of their safe place. I'm there because I care about the kids and I want them to know that someone cares about them too. This is my mission field. can't witness as directly as I'd like to and some days when kids share these awful things with me all I want to do is pray but I can't I can't pray with them but I do pray for them my prayer is just for Jesus to be shown for who he really is when people talk about Christians in the public school context, there's a lot of judgment. A lot of, well, you must be really judgmental or you must be really rude. So sharing the gospel, like there is fear there of being rejected or being, you know, labeled as someone who is intolerant. I have to rely on him. Knowing that this is my calling and that it's him doing it through me. That's big. I think it was a really good opportunity for them to see how much we wanted to serve and how much we wanted to love them. Just show them Jesus. The youth group has been amazing too. They prayed over my classroom and it was 
the most amazing thing. The way they prayed for these kids that they didn't know. The way that their hearts just poured out. I mean, they were just role models for me. I think people think that this pocket of teaching is separate from the pocket of sharing the gospel, but it's really not. Anything can be a ministry if you do it with love while relying on God, just being available as you're doing the thing that you're gifted in. I hope that people see that we have just nothing but love and care and support for people who aren't believers. I want you to notice that for Amber and her story, choosing the treasure that is the kingdom of heaven comes with a cost, doesn't it? There's about a million things that she could be doing that I imagine would be easier than doing what she's doing and would probably pay a lot better than whatever the national public school teacher salary is. But what she's found and what she's expressing there is that there's, there's a joy and purpose in bringing the kingdom of heaven into places and spaces that need the light that we have as followers of Jesus. See, the reality is it's not, it's not always easy, right? When we choose Jesus and we choose his kingdom to treasure above all the other treasures of the world, it's not always easy, but here's what I'm convinced of. It's always worth it. So here's the first of two points this morning. Number one on the screen is for you. Pursuing kingdom treasure isn't always easy, but it is always, always worth it. Now listen, y'all, here's why I'm making such a big deal on this. And um, here's what I say to every single new person that comes through like our Journey 101 class. Um, This is what I I say. Our, Our church, and I really believe this, our church will never be who God wants us to be or who we could be as a faith family because I crush it on the stage every Sunday. Because the reality is, if you've been here for any length of time, you know I'm not gonna crush it every Sunday on this stage. We're not gonna be the church that God wants us to be or the church that we could be because we have the hottest church band in town or we have the coolest kids ministry or the the hottest youth ministry or the best coffee bar or anything like that, man. And I want you to understand, our elder team, our staff team, like we work really hard to do all of those things with excellence because ultimately we know we're not serving you, we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe with all of my heart that we will only ever be the church that God wants us to be when every single one of us that calls this our faith family understands that, that each of us has been given a spiritual gift by God for two explicit reasons. Number one, to build up the body of Christ, the bride of Jesus, Ephesians chapter four. And then secondly, to expand his kingdom outside of these Four walls, Matthew chapter five, what we talked about last week, being salt and light and influencers in the world around us. As we shine light into the darkness, as we become salt to prevent the decay of the culture and the world around us, it will take every single one of us using what God has given us and how he's wired and equipped us to become the church that he wants us to be. Now, I want you, just for a moment, if you could, just just imagine, if if I can, just let me try to, try to give you a vision. Here, here's, here's what vision is. Vi- vision is a picture of the future that produces passion in the present. That's what vision is. That's all it is. Vision is a, a picture of the future that produces passion. Maybe you could even argue action in, in the present. So just imagine with me for a moment, a church full of people who passionately love Jesus, living authentically in community with one another, 
serving the world and the community around them, like we just saw from Amber's story. And imagine with me for a moment that these people have become so totally discontent with playing church for an hour a week because they've discovered a treasure that's so valuable that everything else in life absolutely pales in comparison. And what's more, imagine that this group of people, they found the joy that comes in using their unique spiritual gifts to build up the bride of Jesus, the local church. And now they're even beginning to discover the deep joy of taking that light into their workplaces and their schools and their neighborhoods and their apartment complexes. And the result of all of that is kingdom multiplication. Like more people seeing the gospel authentically lived out in front of them. More people hearing the beautiful good news about Jesus Christ. More people being invited to church, invited to community groups, invited to a meal over your dinner table. More people finding and following Jesus. Now imagine instead of 33 baptisms, now it's 63 baptisms and then 103 baptisms. And then almost every single week, we have a new community group up here baptizing people in their circles of influence that they've been faithful to live the gospel out in front of and speak the gospel to. Churches are being planted and missionaries are being sent out all over the world. And this place just becomes a kingdom hub of life and light. A place where hurting people can come and find healing and a place where hopeless people can come and find real hope. What would it be like to be a part of a faith family like that? And I want you to know, church family, like that vision is not a pipe dream. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a pie in the sky, ethereal thing that's unattainable. In fact, it's a promise, I would argue, that's rooted in the very words of Jesus. In Matthew, 16, Matthew chapter 16, there's this really awesome story. Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples, and he asks them a really important question. He says, uh, who do people say that I am? Right, and you, you, maybe you've heard the story, right? And so the disciples start answering, well, like, hey, Jesus, uh, they, they say you're a lot of things, man. Like, they say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. You're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the other prophets. And Jesus kind of interrupts his disciples. He says, yeah, 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 but who do you say that I am? And Peter, kind of the ringleader of the 12, speaks up, and he just, he just nails it. He hits a home run. He doesn't always hit a home run, but this time he hits a home run. And he says, Jesus, we know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but your father in heaven. And then he utters some of the most astounding words, I would argue, in the entire New Testament. And he says, even the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Even the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I just wanna say, y'all, listen. The church is God's plan A. And there's no plan B. You want to know why? God doesn't need plan Bs. He's a plan A kind of guy. And the reality is this. He chooses for whatever reason to use broken vessels, busted up people just like you and just like me to accomplish his mission, to change the world and to impact eternity. Which leads us right into our second truth this morning. And this is just a statement of fact. Number two on the screens for you. You give your life. Now, what do I mean by life? Three things. Your time, your treasure, your talent. Right, so you just take your life, divide it up. I think you could really divide it up into your time, 
right? What do you do with your time? We all have limited time. It's a resource. Your treasure, right? What God gives you, your possessions, your finances, all those things. And your talents, your spiritual gifts, what you're great at. We all give our life away to that which we value most. And that's just a fact. You give your life away to that which you value most. In light of that, I want you to hear another story from a newer team member uh, here at New Life, Corey. So you guys listen to his story. I'm Corey Cook. I've been coming to New Life since December 2022, shortly after moving to Asheville from Durham, North Carolina. Connection with the church is actually more of a recent development in my walk. I had always thought, as long as I read the Bible, as long as I pray, tune into a sermon every now and again, that is enough. I was letting life kind of get in the way. The schedule of academics at the time, working through Saturday, like Sunday's my day off. But after a while, I started to realize that that's not leading to a deeper walk with God. It's just kind of maintaining a status quo. Most of my friend groups were outside of the church, and it just started dawning on me that if I'm not at least as involved with my faith family as I am with those outside of the faith, what does that really mean for my walk itself? And it really started to grow in me that there's a deeper connection that's to be had. community around me together for a singular purpose was incredibly important. And after working with the kids there for over a year, it's just been something that I've wanted and felt led to stick with ever since. Finding where to plug in was something I wanted to immediately seek out. I actually got connected to New Life through our community pastor, Jonathan Jones, over a cup of coffee before even stepping foot in the building. One of the first things that I got plugged into here was community group. We hang out, we make jokes, we share what's going on in our lives, but we really come together for the discipleship. There's just a different depth that comes out of community group. When it comes to serving, I'm very passionate about the kids' ministry. It's so important to me that someone can show how much Christ loves these kids. God finds a way to actually pour back into you through pouring out to your church. Multiplication to me, I mean, it's what we're called to do. Asheville's constantly growing, and I would love to see my own group eventually have to branch off. It's amazing to see everybody packed in uh, from week to week, but my apartment's only so large. <laughs> Taking that next step, it can be hard. 
but there's a deeper connection that's to be had. And we're truly blessed here to not only have a body that's ready to connect with people, but also a pastoral staff that is driven for that connection. Being able to connect and grow deeper, it's worth that first step. You know, it's been said that if you want to go fast, you go alone, but if you want to go far, you go together. And I think it's a great motto, not just for us individually, but also as a, as a faith family. If you want to go fast, yeah, go by yourself, be a lone ranger. But if you want to go far, and I believe God wants to take us farther and deeper as a faith family, then that only happens as we go together. You don't do that alone. So here's, if I could, here's my, here's my pastoral plea uh, to you this morning. And it's very simple. Friend, listen to me. We, we need you. Three words, we, we need you. Like I, I can't manifest this vision on my own. Like our leadership team, our elders, our staff, we can't climb this mountain. We can't summit this vision all by ourselves. We can't go alone. We need you to link arms with us to see this vision come to fruition, come into focus so that we can begin to experience it at even a greater level than we're currently experiencing. Like it's awesome the things that God is doing in us and among us, but I feel like it's, it's just, a taste of what he wants to give us. Like it should make us hunger and thirst for more of his glory in 2024 in our everyday individual lives and collectively as a faith family. I love this quote from D.L. Moody, one of the great uh, pastors of, uh, of another time and era. He said this, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man or a woman fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so let, me, let me just say to the person maybe in the room, maybe to the person watching online and, and maybe you're sitting there, maybe you're processing, maybe you're thinking and you're thinking something along the lines of, yeah, that's great for people like you, Chris, but God could never use me. Like I've done too much, I've gone too far. My shame is big, my sin is great. Or I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too dumb, I'm too unspiritual. I struggle with addiction too much. I struggle with thoughts of self-harm too often. I'm too fill in the blank with whatever lies the enemy has whispered into your ear over the years, maybe even the decades. I'm here to tell you this morning, they are lies. And I want you to listen to me, church family. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead... God's not done. So just, just curious, by a show of hands this morning, if you're alive, just raise your hand, all right? You're alive. Oh, dang, man, we don't have any corpses in the house this morning. Everybody's alive. That's awesome. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody close to you, and I want you to say, you're not dead. God's not done with you. Right now, you turn to somebody and say that. You're not dead. God's not done. All right, now find somebody else, the second person. You're not dead. God's not done. All right, all right. I think you get the point now, right? You're not dead. God's not done. You haven't gone too far. Your sin is not too deep. God has created you on purpose for a purpose, and there's a design for you in his kingdom that nobody else can fill except for you. And so I want to close with just giving you two questions that I think we all need to answer before we leave this place this morning. I'll put them on the screens for you. Number one, What's your part to play in this? 
What's your part? Now, many of you are already playing your part, so, so thank you for those of you who are. But for those of you who haven't taken that next step beyond attending a service on Sunday morning, what's your, next, what's your part? I promise you, if you love Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit, you have a part to play. Stop robbing the church of Jesus from the part, the gifting that only you have. What's your part to play? And then a second question that's just as important in my mind is who's your person to influence for the kingdom in 2024? Who's your person? I want to challenge everybody in the room, if you love Jesus, to commit to praying for one person that's far from Jesus, praying for them and engaging them, loving them, pointing them to the hope that they can have in Jesus. Now, I guarantee you for like 70% of you, that, that person's face already just flashed into your mind. The Holy Spirit already did that for you. You already know who it is, don't you? For some of you, it's a family member, it's a classmate, it's a co-worker. Maybe it's an estranged relationship. You haven't even talked to this person in a couple years. But the Holy Spirit just brought that person into your heart and your mind. And that's your person for 2024. And your goal is to pray for them faithfully, to reach out to them, to love on them, to point them to hope in Jesus Christ. So two things, what's your part to play and who's your person to influence in 2024? Because here's the reality, guys. The gospel goes forward one relationship at a time. The gospel goes forward one relationship at a time. Because the truth is this, I don't know your neighbors. I don't live in your apartment complex. I don't live in your neighborhood. I don't go to class with your classmates. I don't work in your office space. Listen, friend, he put you there, not me. He put you there on purpose. And God wants to use you right where you're at. Don't miss this, friend. It's not an accident where you live. I promise you, it's not an accident. It's not an accident where you go to school or where you work. You're there on purpose for a purpose. So don't leave this place until you determine the answer to those two question, questions. What's my part to play and who's my person to influence in 2024? Now, a really easy next step as the Spirit reveals to you what it is that you're supposed to be doing and who it is that you're supposed to be influencing. If you want to take a next step, a tangible thing, you can go to newlifesend.com. I should have put it on the screen for you, but I forgot. Newlifesend.com, really easy. Newlifesend.com. And there's things there for you to fill out and we'll help you take your next steps and find your part to play and your person to influence. So here's what I want to do with the three minutes that we have left this morning. I want to just carve out a couple minutes of response time. Prayer, just you and God. And what I want to do is I want to put three questions of contemplation on the screen. And I want you to just take a couple minutes to read those questions, spend some time praying, and ask Holy Spirit to give you answers to those questions, right? So you spend time in the quiet, you read those questions, you ask the Holy Spirit for answers, and then we'll close it out in just a minute.
Father, thank you for inviting us into your mission of reconciling the world to yourself. God, we, we know, I know, you don't need me to accomplish any of these things. You don't need us to accomplish any of these things. You invite us in because you love us. And you know that ultimately we're going to find our purpose, satisfaction, and fulfillment as we walk out our part to play in your kingdom. As we shine your light to the people around us, as we influence others for the sake of Jesus. Thank you for calling us sons and daughters, inviting us into your great big family and giving us this awesome, exciting adventure of a mission together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to us the answer to all these questions that we're thinking about, that we're grappling through in our hearts, in our minds, God. What's our part to play in taking hold of this treasure that is your kingdom and passing it on to those around us? What's our part to play? Who's our person? Who's our, who are our people to influence for your kingdom? We love you. We pray it all. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship.